You know, what we're seeing probably as the biggest growth engine right now is what we consider to be our next generation solutions. And that, that is a combination of our solutions that we help organizations secure what they're doing in public cloud. So whether that be AWS, GCP, Azure, uh, you know, Oracle Cloud, uh, you know, we can also help secure what they're doing in those clouds and from those clouds and anything going to those clouds. But then at the same time, we're seeing a very massive uptick in people rolling out technology that's focused on doing extended detection response or what's known as XDR. And one of our most recent solutions that we've been taking to market called XSIAM, which is really around coming out with an autonomous SOC. Hi, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to the Daily Tech Conversation, where we bring you insights from tech entrepreneurs, CXOs, and investors. I'm Hari Arakali, and in this episode, Sean Duka, Vice President and Regional Chief Security Officer for Asia-Pacific and Japan at Palo Alto Networks, one of the world's largest cybersecurity technologies providers, talks about how, while businesses can differ in their products and services, their security needs are similar. As bad actors become more brazen, Sean wants to impress upon everyone that the threats are very real. He also talks about some of the products at the company that are seeing strong demand and how the company's Indian operations have expanded strongly with both enterprise customers and product development. Thanks again for making time for this. I appreciate it. Sure. I mean, for a more general audience, uh, possibly you could give us a, a very quick overview of uh, what Palo Alto Networks is all about for folks who may not know about the company, and we'll go from there. Sure. So Palo Alto Networks is the largest cybersecurity company in the world. Uh, we're a company that's been around for possibly about 16 years. Uh, most people tend to know us for our next-generation firewall, which was really around subsuming another uh, multiple number of security services and offering them as cloud-delivered security services to our customers, uh, to a platform that we call the Next Generation Firewall. From there, we really sort of grew out into two key areas. One was around securing people's journey to the cloud, and that's to a platform that we call Prisma. Hmm. Uh, And that's where, as people start to move out to public cloud infrastructure, as they start to move into their own private data centers as well, uh, we can basically secure the journey of how they do that. And then also at the same time, also secure how they modernize uh, their applications and how they actually roll them out and uh, how they connect to and from the actual cloud itself. So whether it be through SD-WAN, whether it be through uh, you know remote access technology as well. And then the final piece is what we call Cortex. And that's where we redefine the world of security operations center. For us, it's all about how do we leverage automation as much as we possibly can to really aid and complement the few humans that we've actually got that are working in the security operations center today. And this is all around identifying, detecting, identifying, and really seeing what are the threats and challenges that are out in the environment. Uh, And they're also enabling our security analysts to go off and do their own threat hunting uh, to really try and stop adversaries that may already be inside the environment. And that's leveraging uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and automation to really achieve that outcome. Uh, those three key platforms are the technologies that we really help organizations today uh, to secure and deliver on their security outcomes. Again, from just from a sort of a layperson's point of view, and, and as far as cybersecurity is concerned, I definitely put myself in the category of layperson. You know, in the old days, people would talk about uh, sort of defending and protecting anything that's within 
uh, an enterprise's uh, walls, if I can put it that way, within the network. Mm-hmm. So firewalls, anything, anything within the firewall is protected and defended. But uh, today, as you know, because of cloud computing and social media and all these kinds of things, that sort of definition of the network has changed a lot, right? I mean, the the edge of the network is constantly evolving and so on. So I'm just wondering if, uh, I mean, how uh, how does Palo Alto Networks look at this? Do you still basically focus on protecting everything within the firewall, or do you look at your modern technologies now uh, pretty much cover everything? What what give us a sense of uh, the approach that you all take. Yeah, absolutely. For years, there was always this concept of anything that was inside the firewall was considered trusted and anything that was considered outside the firewall was untrusted, even to the point where uh, technology and even uh, systems and appliances that I remember you know, growing up and tinkering with, so to speak, when I was actually uh, looking after other organizations' networks, it really had trusted and untrusted labeled on those physical appliances and, and you know, and firewalls and the like. Uh, and that was really where I think the world changed uh, because for years and especially over the last three years, we saw how much change actually took place where, you know, if you're an organization that had, you know, what, let's just call it one branch, one main office. And even if you said it had five branch offices, um, you know, think of like your traditional, you know, in Mumbai and then you've got Pune, Hyderabad, whatever it may be. Um, you know, when we told everybody to work from home, and let's just say you had a thousand employees, technically you now had 1,005 different sites because now everyone was actually sitting out on the internet. So technically we're all saying that we're all sitting out on that trusted network. This is all about uh, removing implicit trust that had been applied to anyone, whether it be a system, service, an application, uh, or a user. Uh, remove that off the off the all the rule sets that were there and effectively inspect but verify every single digital transaction that took place. And this allowed you, me, and anyone else really to to work from wherever they were, whether it was, you know, working from a coffee shop, working from home, going on holidays and taking their laptop with them. It allowed us to communicate with any one of those applications that we're using, whether it was something that was sitting back at the corporate headquarters or something that was sitting in public cloud services as, you know, software as a service, something that we consumed, and we effectively just inspect and verify all the traffic. It doesn't simply mean that we just check to see, you know, you're Sean, you're from Palatine Networks, tick, you know, we do access and authorization. It really meant that every single time I was to initiate some form of communication to an application, we just inspected and verified, is this actually legitimate? Is this actually something that is worthwhile? And the reason for that was people can actually have their accounts compromised. Individuals could also turn rogue. So as the world's changed over the last number of years where it was a case of it used to be whatever was inside was safe, anything that was outside was considered untrusted, we really flipped that on its on its head, and so to speak, and we said, let's treat everything as untrusted. Let's treat the network as if it's already been breached. Let's treat it as if it's already been compromised because that's the world that technically we live in when we are connecting from any location. I could be borrowing someone's internet at uh, at a cafe and I don't really know who else is actually on that network. So let's ensure that we are protecting the users that are actually out there. So I'm protecting my systems with an always on connection. And it's always basically doing that level of inspection to see, am I transmitting something that could be malicious in nature and effectively trying to compromise the rest of the network that I'm connecting to. 
Tell us a little bit about uh, your role at the company as well. Uh, what's a typical day like as a CSO for the region and VP for APAC in Japan? I mean, I don't know if there's a typical day for you, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm trying to wake up, what does typical look like? Yeah, but look, I think the, the reality is uh, my job is to really to help uh, organizations and, and more in particular executives at, at large to really try and think about cybersecurity as something more than just a box that they point to or a piece of software or solution, or they point to their security team and say, we've got security under control, but really changing the narrative of what security means. At the same time, it's also a case of making them think about um, how they look at cybersecurity as more than a technical or an IT problem as what we've typically done in the past, but rather a an enterprise risk. You know, the same way that we look at things such as you know, employee, uh, you know, employee health or, you know, fire protection. We should be thinking about that as an all of organization, you know, thing or an all of organization risk uh, because cyber risk is like any other risk. You know, even drop the cyber moniker, it's just risk. So a typical day for me is working with, um, you know, whether it be our customers, whether it be prospects, whether it be industry groups, government bodies to really help and shift and change and shape that narrative of what security means. And the thing that I typically tell organizations is that you know everyone is unique, everyone is different, because I typically hear that a lot when I speak to organizations. But the thing that makes them unique and different is actually their products, their services, their routes to market, you know, the, the goods and the goods that they may actually be offering. But the security challenges are the same. So I'm trying to really connect and leverage that extensive network of people that I've actually met over the last couple of weeks, months, and even previous years to share a lot of that with other people. So, you know, it's a key thing is that I always turn around to tell organizations is in the underground, you know, the cost of entry is actually quite low. You could be a novice. You could be someone who doesn't even really understand how to code, yet you've got this cybercrime as a service cottage industry that you could typically go to to procure uh, capabilities and services that could actually be used for nefarious activity. You know, and people actively talk in that uh, you know that thriving uh, cottage industry uh, whilst it is illegal. Yeah, but in this world that we sort of live in, you know, seldom do people actually share their wins, their losses. You know, what's worked, what hasn't, and I think that actually plays to the head of the adversary. So the more I can actually promote people to talk and, and really share their information, their learnings with others, the better it actually is for us to to really sort of have a a potential upper hand against the adversary or at least be better placed to actually defend uh, our own organizations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Give us a quick overview of uh, uh, Palo Alto Network's operations in India. When did the company first start in India? And uh, maybe you can talk about uh, what that has evolved into today. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely is a success story in itself. Um, I've been in the company now coming up to eight years next month. And I remember some of my early days of when I used to come out to India and, and this Peloton Networks has actually been in India for well over 10 years. But I remember times when I used to go to, you know, some cities where we only had probably two, maybe three people in a particular city. Um, you know, fast forward now and we've got hundreds, you know, probably even at the point where we've even crossed over the, the thousand employee mark in India. You know, on one of my last trips to uh, Bangalore, uh, that was a place that we only had uh, once upon a time two people. Uh, we've now got a, an Indian development center based in Bangalore where we're doing not only just research development, but 
but also engineering, quality assurance. Um, you know, we've got some of the, the key products that we actually take, some of our flagship products that we take to market are actually built here in India as well. And that's staffed by, you know, hundreds of people uh, that are probably over the point where we've now got over a thousand people working just in India alone. Mm. Are you allowed to talk about any customers specifically or any well-known client names that you can tell us? Uh, look, I, I can only talk about people that uh, that, are, that are willing and able to actually be, uh, you know, reference customers. I, I can't sort of talk about, um, you know, sort of anyone and everyone. But we have a very good cross-section of customers that work across all different industries. Um, you know, if I think about some of the most recent examples of where we've actually had success, it's one, it's across all the parts of our portfolio. And whilst many customers here have always been traditional next-generation firewall customers, you know, what we're seeing probably as the biggest growth engine right now is what we consider to be our next-generation solutions. And that that is a combination of our solutions that we help organizations secure what they're doing in public cloud. So whether that be AWS, GCP, Azure, uh, you know, Oracle Cloud, uh, you know, we can also help secure what they're doing in those clouds and from those clouds and, and anything going to those clouds. But then at the same time, we're seeing a very massive uptick in people rolling out technology that's focused on doing extended detection response or what's known as XDR. And one of our most recent solutions that we've been taking to market called XSIAM which is really around coming out with an autonomous SOC where we're combining everything from uh, extended detection response to attack surface management uh, and even to the point where we're grabbing the uh, XOR piece, which is what we've always called security orchestration and automated response and bringing that all together in a platform that really drives a lot more automation in organizations. And we're seeing amazing growth in that uh, solution alone just here in India. I would imagine some of the biggest conglomerates must be using your... Absolutely. Again, from a, for a general audience, uh, explain to us the significance of the automation that your technologies bring from the cybersecurity perspective. So the automation is really around, you know, being a, uh, an, I guess, an engineering first organization. We really think about how do we apply, um, you know, software logic to everything that we do? So that that automation is around creating playbooks, and those playbooks are anything that's a repeatable task. We simply go through the process of saying, "Great, let's actually try and apply that to the work that we do." So think about the work that you do. You may ask, you know, if I see something bad, and let's just call it a, a phishing email that comes in that looks malicious in nature, or someone's actually submitted an email that looks malicious in, in nature, we um, we can talk about the fact that, that those organizations can go through and use automation or computer logic to say, go off and actually check to see, is that email legitimate or is it malicious in nature? Go off and check to see where did it actually come from. If it contains any suspicious links, check those links. So rather than an analyst spending you know 17 hours per week, which is typically the amount of time that an organization does something like that, uh, you know, to actually go through and do this. You know, one of the largest conglomerates here, Infosys in particular, you know, doesn't have to go through and use a human to actually do that anymore. They can now actually leverage, you know, automation to achieve that. And that automation saves them 17 hours plus per week to actually go through, analyze and find out, are these legitimate or suspicious emails? And then from there, how do we then go to the place of trying to work out, uh, you know, what are the next challenges that we need to go through? You know, fast forward to what automation looks like in our own security operations center. And today we have 
probably 99.9% of all the work in our security operations center is automated. And we've got, we have that staffed by less than 10 people that work nine to five, uh, Monday to Friday, California time. That's not because we think the adversary goes to, uh, goes to sleep or actually focuses on uh, other organizations or, or doesn't actually sort of work past five o'clock. It's more a case of, uh, you know, the few people that we've got can focus on the things that will really cause material impact to our own organization. And that's the same what we can see with other organizations that are really getting leverage out of that today. Can, can you sort of give us a broad sense of what are some of the most uh, dangerous developments and trends that you're coming across in recent times, I mean, worldwide, as well as how some of those trends are playing out in India? So the most, uh, I guess the, the biggest development that we're probably seeing take place right now is the adversary is getting uh, rather brazen and, and, and bold when it comes to launching their attacks. They see that everything is money. And for them, they cast their net as far and wide as they possibly can to really get anyone inside that net. And that is all around trying to get information that could lead to you know, some sort of financial gain or maybe even get access to systems um, you know, through that initial access to an organization. They get access to those systems where they could either commandeer your systems and uh, that are inside your own organization for their own nefarious activities or prevent you from getting access to those systems altogether. So we've seen uh, attacks such as ransomware really escalate over the last couple of years, both locally here in India and, and globally, but to the point where they're no longer just using the ransom as an actual you know means to an end, uh, but they're also oh, sorry, encrypting your data to then launch a you know a, the ransom itself, the ransom note, but more on the fact that they're also leveraging extortion and harassment to actually try to achieve their outcome. And that is all around making sure that it's publicly known that you have been compromised, publicly known that your systems are locked out uh, because they want people to know that this is the information that you hold and they're going to try and embarrass you as much as they possibly can, you know, deny you from actually running your business because in the end, it's a pressure cooker situation. You know, put you inside the pressure cooker so they can actually get their payment. We're saying that it's probably one of the most common trends. And what really we see from the other side of that is organizations, you know, have grown to a point where they've got a lot of different assets. They've got users that are scattered around the, the place and, and really trying to work out, you know, where are they point in time? Where is their data located? Who's got access to it? How's it protected? It's something that's challenging a lot of organizations. Have you done any study uh, from your own company or anything that you might have commissioned a third-party independent agency to look at in terms of, you know, what is the cost of all of these attacks on, on, for example, the GDP of a country, whether it is India or some other country. And I'm curious as to what might have been your findings. Yeah, look, the, the biggest thing that we've actually found is a couple of data points. So if we have a look at, um, you know, Forrester basically talk about the fact that the financial and business impacts to an organization on average typically cost 2.4 million US dollars that's associated with recovering from a breach. What we've actually seen is 96% of organizations that have actually been targeted are actually uh, 96% of them that were, sorry, 96% that were attacked last year uh, were actually successful in actually being compromised. And it's a statistic from the 2002 Global What's Next in Cybersecurity Survey that we actually commissioned ourselves. So there's a lot of different findings that we've actually found where people are actually out there and, you know, it's quite 
um, fruitful for a cyber criminal to actually be uh, to target organizations and to actually get payday. You know, the challenging side of it when you flip it around is the number of security vendors or tools that an organization typically uses today on average is in excess of 30 different tools. Now, when you think about it, that may sound like a very small number. And, you know, because you think about some of the large conglomerates here in India and maybe they've got, you know, maybe 30 people inside their own team. But if you've got 30 people that are never really talking to each other and sharing information about what they're seeing out there, that becomes a very complex issue. So what we're seeing is a bit of a driving force right now is a lot of organizations have started to consolidate the number of different tools they've got to make their job a little bit easier to deal with the threats and challenges that are actually out there. Because that consolidation is really driven by the fact that in today's world, you know, risks can also be created through our own complexity. And complexity can sometimes be the root of all evil when it comes to a security program. This is why as an industry, and I appreciate the irony that I'm actually saying this as a vendor, but many vendors have actually created this world for organizations where, you know, you need to buy the best of this solution, the best of that solution, the best of that solution. But it forced organizations to become plumbers, to really try and work out how do you stitch all these different solutions together? And our mission has really been, how do we create a platform that may contain best of breed capabilities, but we've actually done the plumbing for you by building that platform that's natively integrated natively orchestrated, and it's got integration built into it at the heart of it to really provide a platform that says, as you mature, as you start to grow in your journey, let's say leveraging public cloud, like you do the lift and shift out to public cloud, you then start to modernize and build your own applications in containers, leverage serverless compute. We could start to go and work with you as you mature in your journey to secure everything that you're doing out in public cloud because we've bought the best components and capabilities that are out of the market We've natively stitched all of them together so you can start to simply just consume that. And I think that's what we're seeing a big shift in the market right now. And if you have a look at these macroeconomic um, you know, conditions that we're actually seeing out there right now, you know, in macroeconomic downturn, uh, any type of downturn that's actually ever popped up in, you know, in, in centuries, you know, we've always seen that whenever there's a downturn in the economy, crime goes up. And if we think about the largest crime right now is cybercrime. So right now, we've got something that's potentially coming up toward us. And the thing that so many smart organizations are actually doing are thinking about, how do I get ahead of this potential problem that's out there? By thinking about consolidating the number of different solutions they've got, by leveraging platforms that do actually talk to each other and, and think about better ways to solve this. Because unfortunately, we can't throw another 8 billion people into the mix to become cybersecurity warriors because we will still lose. Because the adversary is using automation against us, thus we need to be using automation as much as we possibly can you know, to orchestrate and uh, automate our defenses to protect our organizations. Mm. When you look at the coming together of or the coming of age of all these different technologies, uh, whether it's yep. 5G or IoT or, uh, and as you said, automation and now increasingly AI, from a cybersecurity perspective, what are the implications? Because obviously the the bad actors also have access to all these technologies. So, right, okay, yeah. So look, we you know if if you take the advent of artificial intelligence and even machine learning, you know we know that adversaries are definitely looking at it and even leveraging it for themselves. Thus, it makes sense for us to do that. And if we look at what we've been doing, uh, you know, we're clearly trying to you know, lead the way where, you know, AI for cybersecurity is something that's at the forefront of what we're actually doing from our solution set. 
we've been doing this for a long time. Um, you know, we've built neural networks. We've been learning and leveraging machine learning models to actually have a look at everything from the types of malicious software that we're actually picking up on a daily basis, the different types of websites that our users are going to. And we've got very high fidelity with the information that's actually coming through to identify what's actually considered net new, what's actually considered that is something that's never been seen before by anyone else in the industry, and it's just targeting one particular organization. You know, that's leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning to achieve that. And a good example of that one would be where someone receives a spear phishing email targeting their own organization, but it's never been seen anywhere else around the world. And we're leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning to identify those particular threats or that a website was actually, uh, you know, stood up only a minutes ago. Uh, that's never been categorized by anyone in the industry, but we're still able to detect that as something malicious. You know, even though the, the, the bad actors out there could be leveraging that for their own nefarious activities or their own gain, you know, we're trying to get ahead of that one because we need to be using the same tools and capabilities that are out there you know, to benefit ourselves and to to benefit our network defenders that are out there because they are the ones that are actually trying to stop the bad from coming in. You, you said earlier on that uh, the software engineers in India have played an important role in developing some of your products. So from a cybersecurity know-how uh, perspective, can you give us a sense of uh, how things are shaping up in terms of uh, available talent in India, people with uh, uh, good experience in some of the cutting-edge areas in cybersecurity. Because normally, when you talk about cybersecurity, people will probably think about Israel or, of course, Silicon yep. Valley. Uh, so I'm just curious about what kind of talent uh, now exists uh, in India. I mean, uh, of course, also because of uh, the type of work that companies like Palo Alto Networks have been doing here and so on. Uh, so just give us a sense of what you're finding here today. Yeah, look, I think for years and, and having traveled to India for, I was trying to work this one out last night, I think probably close to about 18 or 19 years now. You know, I've seen over the years, uh, both at Palo Networks and even a previous organization that I worked at, you know, we were leveraging, um, you know, Indian workforce for a long time. So I think that the capability and know-how is definitely here. And I think that the great part about it, this is obviously one of the reasons why I love coming here, is having conversations with people in India where they're looking to be challenged. They, they want to think about something that's over the horizon. They're not thinking about today's problems only. You know, and that's where I think India has actually been playing a very leading role in, in, the, in the world stage where they have got the ability to be a little bit brazen, to be a little bit bold, uh, to really sort of stand out from the front. You know, you've got some of these large conglomerates that have been here and have really been servicing some of the, some other large companies around the world for many, many years. And you ask yourself the question, why is that? Because I think talent's been here. And I think we've also got that ability where people have learned in India that, you know, if you start to think about innovative ways, start to work on ways of, you know, educating people differently to the way that maybe the rest of the world has done, you know, you can start to actually do that en masse uh, with, the, with such a large population that you've got here in the country, you can start to achieve some amazing things. You know, I remember coming to, to India many, many years ago where people were using languages that were not even really taught at universities back in the day. Um, you know, it, was, it was only a few years later. So you start to think about it. You know, it's always been that, hey, well, what's the next thing that's over the horizon? Let's teach that. Let's learn that. And you've got that appetite for, and passion here where people want to do something different. And, and I think that's where we've actually seen probably success in this Indian market where we can actually find some amazing talent that have actually helped us build some of that cutting edge capability that you know we've seen with our cloud security solutions. You know, 
some one of the solutions that we actually acquired was actually based and, and was built here in India. Uh, so I think th- there's there's something definitely to be said about that one because you've got some of these large cloud service providers that have actually stood up presence here. People have worked out, okay, what are the security challenges? And they've actually created companies from that, uh, which is an amazing capability and an amazing thing in itself. Are you allowed to talk about uh, this solution that you acquired in India? I mean, can you give us some details? Yeah, so that was a company called Redlock. And uh, Redlock became the genesis for what we actually considered today to be Prisma Cloud. You know, when we started to embark on becoming the number one cloud security partner of choice, that really started with technology that we'd actually built uh, organically in our own organization, but also came through acquisition. You know, Nikesh Arora, our CEO, is coming up to five years being at Pulse Networks this coming June. And in that time, he's acquired 19 different organizations. But I must add, those 19 organizations have all completely been integrated, everything from the people, the processes, the technology, and we've actually built amazing technology from that. We're not buying technology to simply create a, you know, to add customers to our customer list uh, or, or simply just add that sort of incremental revenue stream that we've got there. We're talking about building brand new products from things that we've acquired and then really start to work out what are those various pieces. I'll take the example with cloud. You know, we acquired a company called Evident IO. And Evident was really focused on doing posture assessment and management for uh, AWS, which is great when you're only doing AWS. But we said, okay, let's actually go off and acquire some other capability that allows us to do this cross uh, cloud service providers. That's when we acquired Redlock, which became, obviously, as I said, the genesis for Prisma Cloud. You know, within 42 days, we ported all the code that was needed and relevant into the Prisma Cloud platform. We then said, well, as people start to migrate and move their technology out to public cloud, they're going to do that lift and shift, so to speak, of you know, lifting up a virtual instance and putting it out into public cloud. They're going to start to modernize their application. So they're going to create containers. They're going to leverage, you know, serverless compute that's out there. You know, AWS have Lambda and, and the like. Yeah, so we said we need to be able to secure that because we see that attackers are also trying to attack that in particular. Yeah, we acquired a company called Twistlock, acquired another company called PureSec, which we then ported over in three months, the relevant pieces to make it natively integrated and orchestrated into that Prisma Cloud platform. So as we're buying, we're actually acquiring great talent in the market. We're also acquiring some amazing capability and building up up from there. And we're not merging it together and creating a Frankenstein solution. As I said, we're talking about solving that fundamental problem that's been out in the industry, which is we've forced people to become plumbers. And we said, let's actually stop that and change that by buying the best of breed solutions and really creating that platform approach. And it's not just our view. You know, from a survey that we saw, 77% of security executives think it's critical to reduce the number of different security solutions and services they use from a survey that we ran, which is that uh, what's next in cybersecurity. And that plays perfectly into the hand of the platform. You know, how are you fully managing today's cyber risks when you have got all these different disparate security solutions? You know, we've heard of people anecdotally using up to 400 different security solutions. You know, how do you manage that? How do you even manage 400 things in a spreadsheet? You know, so this is where we're looking at it from a platform standpoint, and this is where the platform works, whether it be for organizations here in India or organizations around the world leveraging capability that is actually being built part and parcel uh, here and around the world as well. Mm-hmm. As part of your work, do you look at uh, recruiting people in India as well for your software development teams and give us a sense of 
uh, you know, what might be your priorities in terms of talent acquisition in India over the next 12 months or so? I, I think we're always looking for key talent periods. Uh, and even in these times where, uh, you know, we're still hiring people right now, even when there is a bit of a downturn in the tech market globally. Um, you know, what we're looking for, we're looking for everything from people that can actually service our accounts from an account management standpoint, you know, support, but also at the same time, development engineering. You know, we need people that can actually talk about the security challenges with business executives, not just simply walk in and say, here's a brochure. I hope you'd like to buy something from us. You know, we're, we're looking for people that have got, you know, added, uh, that have got aptitude learn and flourish, which is something that we offer here. But at the same time, we want people that are hungry. And because we want people to actually go out there and actually service the customers that we've got, but also same time find new customers. You know, the cybersecurity challenges are not going to stop, and I think the threats are not going to abate anytime soon. So then we need to ensure that we keep on protecting every single organization that's out there, whether they're a customer today or a customer tomorrow. All right, uh, really nice. Uh, I mean, for me, a good first update on your work, Sean. Uh, uh, of course, it's such a vast subject, uh, but in the small context of uh, looking at some of the work that you've been doing in India, uh, any points that you would like to highlight that I didn't ask you about or I just didn't know about? Yeah, look, I, I think for me, the big thing is more around the fact that I, you know, I, I want to make sure that people understand that the threat is actually real. And every time that we see a brand new uh, data breach take place, then every single organization should do, sit down, whether it be from the board of directors, executive leadership team, or the security team as a whole, and actually sit down and go, could this actually happen to us? If so, how? And try and work out and prepare for that day because, as I always say, no one ever picks their team the day of the game. So now is the time to actually start thinking about how do you plan and prepare for that day that potentially could impact you. And, you know, the more that we actually practice and rehearse for that day, the less likely that we're going to have major issues impacting our organizations. Yeah, this uh, it's a really interesting point. I mean, I know that it's a whole another set of conversations but i'm i'm really but i would still like to ask one question have you uh, come across instances where now some of especially some of your larger enterprise customers are looking to have some kind of a uh, board level champion uh, of cyber security uh, it's it's definitely it's definitely heading in that direction so we're we're definitely at that point where that's going to be happening sooner rather than later okay Excellent. Very, yeah, very nice conversation, Sean. Thanks again for your time. Nice. Thanks a lot. Take care. That's it for this conversation. I hope you found it interesting. You can find all our podcasts at ForbesIndia.com and on your favorite podcast app. I'm Hari Thank you for listening.